They come riding on big horses and throw knives and guns. Okay. We're reviewing Magnificent Seven, by the way. I didn't yeah. know if you know that. Yeah, I mean, maybe you noticed it in the he- in the heading for this uh, podcast, but welcome to the Wages of Cinema, I'm Jack. Andrew. And uh, we just got back from seeing the new uh, Magnificent Seven. Um, this is uh, the new film directed by Anton Fuqua. Um, not Best speak- known for... Well, d- well, well, let me ask, do you know what he's famous for? training day there you go okay Good. all right well he's also i mean he's done a lot of movies uh he also recently did uh i don't know if you call it a remake but there's a tv show of the equalizer and he did a, he did a movie from that with denzel washington just basically an excuse to show him like killing lots of people and getting his vengeance point is that. he's friends with denzel washington point is he is uh he, he's a guy who has come forward and Brought us a western, which you know we don't really get too many westerns. No, we don't actually. No, not not really anymore. I mean, so I you know, and I'm, I think this is a pretty welcome uh, addition to the genre. I mean, now I guess to get out of the way, I I enjoyed this movie. I enjoyed it too. I it's, enjoyed it with some caveats. It's but we'll get to that. It's okay. Oh, just okay. You know, it's funny. I sometimes don't know how to gauge what your reaction is when we're watching a movie. Because I was sitting here watching it, and you seemed to be really enjoying yourself. You were, like, mm. chuckling. You were kind of smiling. You were, you know, it seemed like you were into it. Yeah. I was into it, too, although now that when I was, like, driving back from the theater, the, the more I was thinking about it, I was like, okay, this had a lot of really uh, big action moments, but it also dealt in some cliches. Sure. Now, just to make sure that we, we're all up to speed, Magnificent Seven is a story, basically, it's a remake of a fil- of, a, of an this, earlier Western. Yes. The first, the first movie starred such massive stars as Yul Brenner, uh, Steve McQueen, Eli Wallach. Charles Bronson. Charles Bronson, yeah. Robert Vaughn. Oh, yeah, Robert Vaughn. Who was the guy who um, is like the young upstart? Oh, Horst Buchholz. <laughs> The guy whose name sounds like what the sound is when a horse sneezes. Right. Horse Buchholz! In that film, like, he, he's listening, he's like, and introducing Horst Buchholz. And you're like, why is there a German in this movie? Right. And, and you can kind of that. detect, you can kind of detect the the accent in his voice. Yeah, a little bit. He was not a great actor, which now, is probably why he, we probably never heard of Horst Buchholz since. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe he's been another. But now we got a remake of that film. But the thing is, that was a remake itself. Oh, so, yeah. Because, I mean, th- this is one of the granddaddies of all action epics, uh, Seven Samurai. Right. By the great Akira Technically, Kurosawa. you would say Magnificent Seven is an adaptation of The Seven Samurai. This is, this is basically... But, you know, it's like, basically the same story. Th- well, this is... Yeah, this is basically like Peter Jackson's King Kong, mm. you could say. Like, this is made by somebody who um, clearly loves... Now, I don't know if he loves... I don't know what his thoughts are on Seven Samurai, but I know I've heard from Antoine Fuqua in an interview briefly that, you know, he loved Westerns growing up. And so, I mean, this was one of the ones I'm sure he watched a lot. 
Right. Uh, so. So the Magnificent Seven is basically there's always a village in trouble. In yes. this in this case, it's a small town, uh, which is being threatened by this. Uh, by this Robert you know, Baron who wants to, who's like he, his mine is like he's mining gold and he wants to buy the land around the gold mine. Yes. Uh, and by buy, I mean, of course, mean steal. So the people of the town go to hire gunmen and they find seven guys, all of whom have a wide variety of skills, and they come to defend the town. Yes, that's that's it in a nutshell. And right. if you go back to the Seven Samurai. That has pretty much the same premise too. Only in that case, it's you know set in I don't know what was was it like the 16th or 17th century Japan something like that. 16th or 17th century is about right. Yeah, and that was obviously there. And the funny you, thing was then uh, Kurosawa was also inspired by westerns. Yeah. Because I'm sure that even before Seven Samurai, you had stories of like bandits coming into a town and people had to defend themselves japanese storytelling especially japanese cinematic storytelling has always had this this very weird kinship with westerns well kurosawa especially because he was uh almost got a little typecast maybe it was fair maybe not but he was known for being one of the more well he was being he was known for being kind of one of the more western of japanese filmmakers i mean that's how you know, his films found an audience pretty quickly, uh, you know, in the 1950s, and that's how you got The Magnificent Seven. That's how, you know, Jimbo gets picked up and becomes Fistful of Dollars. Right. Um, and, you know, a lot of other great films. But, and uh, why people get sued when they adapt his films the, without the, asking. The great irony, though, is that I, I read that Kurosawa ended up making more money from those lawsuits than, than he did on any of his movies. Eh. So good for him, like... Uh, Thank you, John Sturgis and Sergio Leone for uh, great work. I mean, I, th I think that they, I feel like they credited Kurosawa for Magnificent Seven. They didn't for Fistful of Dollars. That's well, where they got into trouble. It's, it's but that's near here, near it's there. Tricky. There's a lot of legalese tied in with who gets credit for what and where yeah. the money goes. I mean, Apparently, it, yeah. it was not done right the first time. Well, well, the thing is, is that each version. I mean, you can. Even in well, this version steers away more. This is trying to be more of its own movie. I felt, even though there are obvious echoes to it, certainly the, tries the other one. But yeah, uh, it, it does try. I mean, I, I I will give the movie credit. That's what I kind of liked is that it was trying to be its own movie, but it also can't help but you know be a magnificent yeah, seven movie. A lot of the plot base uh, unfolds rather in a obligatory way well where you hit yeah. the same beats all along especially this especially happens in the first act where they're just basically gathering people together well you almost can't help that the fact that it's that setup is so kind of set in place um again not unlike maybe king kong where you have to go out and go to the you island. You have to go to the island. You have to get the woman kidnapped by the natives. And she has the... to be held so that Kong gets her, and right. then the people got and save her. Um, the problem is, is when you do that, if once it's expected, you just kind of do it, and it unfolds in this way that doesn't seem very organic. Yeah, I mean, for example, uh, for those of you who've seen Seven Samurai or Magnificent Seven, you may remember that there's a scene where um, it comes either as the second or third. Uh, person to join in the group uh they they witness in each time in the story uh somebody who's facing off against somebody else in kind of a competition right and the other guy gets angry and then you see how much of a badass 
this person is. In mm -hmm. Seven Samurai, it's like this really... It's that sword drawing competition. The sword drawing competition, and then obviously they transplant that into the gunslinger. The gun versus knife. Gun versus knife. Thing. Who? Was that Yul Brenner? No, he was the, no, the lead Lee guy. No, Lee Marvin did that. Lee Marvin was not... Well, no, Marvin wait, was not, not Lee Marvin. James Coburn. Yes. I, yeah. I get those wow. two confused a lot. Wow. James Coburn. Yeah. Uh, he's the he's the guy with the knife, but uh, they have a replay of that scene in this. And yes. it's a lot less. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't make as much sense in mm. this uh, in this case. Well, this time it's like Ethan Hawke is this, uh, and Ethan Hawke. I, I want to get to him more because he was one of my favorite characters in the movie. Mm -hmm. um, but he is almost kind of like the manager or partner of. The guy who throws knives. Yeah. And the knife thrower is this Asian guy. Yeah. Um, this Pers time, the Magnificent Seven are um, much more A much more diverse cast. You know, in the, in the 1961, they're all just white guys. Right. Um, I mean, I don't know if Yul Brenner was... Uh, I'm not sure where, where Yul Brenner was from. <laughs> yeah. But they were all pretty much... It was a very white movie. And then you also had, of course, Eli Wallach playing uh, in his... Uh, first auspicious time a Mexican, <laughs> which is always great. Which is great because Eli Wallach is so Jewish. <laughs> but he's just what does that mean? He's just hey. he's just dark enough and his hair is just curly enough to make him look really Mexican. The thing is, you can't. <laughs> I, I have I don't know who would ever get offended by him make like his make doing a Mexican uh, character. I, I I'm not one to talk. I I'm. I, I am pure whitey right here. <laughs> you don't say. But, you know, it's... <laughs> you who listens to, like, Gregorian But, I mean, chants. that's the thing. He's like... Uh, Eli Wallach, he, he, he's such a great... He was such a great actor that, you know, you just believed him in whatever he did. He committed to it 100%. So that even though it, it's mm. it's technically a bit of race bending, yeah. no one really cares because it's, it was Eli Wallach and he was always cool. Yeah. Now, but but it, getting back to the movie. Yeah, because the problem. I mean, I, I know we, it's a tendency to maybe compare too much to the film that came before, but I mean, you can't help it when it has the same name, and you know, it has the same setup, and generally, it has some of the same unfolding of how things are. The one thing that, correct me if I'm wrong, we don't really have in this version a. A Toshiro Mifune or Horse Buchholz. No, we don't have that character. Yeah. Which was I, quite refreshing. You they, know, they decided not to hit that beat, and I'm just glad they didn't. I noticed it, but I wasn't bothered by it. Yeah, they could have done I. it. They could have done it, but honestly, I feel like the, with the cast that they had, I think what they probably realized was we got Chris Pratt, and Chris Pratt is kind of the comic relief of the movie. Kind of, In yeah. a way. I mean, a, a lot of the characters have... He's the funny have, character. He's the funniest. I mean, a lot of the characters have little quips. They have moments. They have good camaraderie, this cast, mm -hmm. generally speaking, um, when they have moments that they show them with. So, yeah. Yeah, you don't have that element of the Toshiro, Toshiro Mifune, which, again, in Seven Samurai, that was great. Here, maybe they realized it would have just been a little too much. Too much oh. of a retread. Well, not even so much a retread, just with the story that they already have, with the people that they have set up. Mm. Um, it might have been a little distracting. It's like, we want to get these people together so that they can go to the town. Right. Um, and they have some pretty distinctive 
personalities. I mean, again, you have Ethan Hawke is this ex uh, Confederate uh, yeah. super shooter. Uh, you yeah. have Vincent D'Onofrio as uh, I, Jack I like, Horn, the like mountain man. Or well, whatever well, he is. it's well, it's um, well, what's Chris Pratt's line about him? Oh, look, that bear is really wearing that human skin. Well. <laughs> It was something like I that. I think that bear was wearing people clothes. Yes, people yeah. clothes. <laughs> I, mean, I didn't recognize him. You didn't, huh? No. I thought he was great. I knew it was him just because I've I've seen the trailer for this so many times now that I was kind of expecting it. Mm-hmm. I didn't know who some of the other actors were. I didn't know who the the Asian guy was. I didn't know who... There's a Native American in yes. it, too. We should mention that. Was he Was he wearing face paint that was supposed to be the American flag? No. No. Okay. What was it then? Because it, it seemed was, like he was... Because he was wearing red, but then it also looked like he had on stripes he had and lot, a little blue. There was... It was kind of like that, but he was not supposed to look like the American oh, right, That would then, have been dumb. No. Well, then I got the wrong impression. I thought it was supposed to be some ironic statement that, like, <laughs> the United States has wiped out all my people, so I'm going to wear this he's a, on my he, face. He's a Native American hipster. Something like that. Back in the sure. 19th century. Why not? Sure. And then, um, yeah, then you have, uh, I think I went through pretty much all of them. Uh, and then, of course, Denzel yeah. is uh, uh, the old Brunner this right. time around. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think that uh, one thing I would say, this might be a slightly more humorous movie than the original one. Hmm. But at the same time, dark and grisly, too. I don't know if maybe, I'd say yeah, that. Maybe, maybe not grisly, but it is at times pretty dark. Like it, for a PG thirteen movie too. I don't. I don't think that this is a. It's a pretty violent movie. But it's not bloody. Well, that's the thing is that it's 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 tr- it's going to have its cake and eat it. I mean, this is going to be a huge. It's probably going to be a huge hit. Um, but you see a lot of people get shot in this movie. Yes, a lot of people. Um, but the kids can go see it. You know who we haven't mentioned yet? Peter uh, Scar- Sarsgaard? Yeah, I'm... Let me ask you... He plays you... the villain. He plays the he plays the gold mining company man. What's important to note I is... I wish I had a better name well, for that. What's important to note, I think, at least for me, is that um, he's not playing the Eli Wallach character. No. They, they have completely went away from that. Because in that movie, was it like Bandito's? Yeah. Yeah, it was basically banditos who were coming into this small western town, and hey, we're gonna just take it over. We don't care. Here, they try to make I think a little bit more of a statement about like capitalism. Like, there's even a moment near Not the a- beginning of the movie where he, Pierce Sarsgaard, goes in front of like this church of all these frightened townspeople, and he's like, uh, "Democracy is capitalism, and capitalism is God." And how dare you stop the progress of God? Yeah, I'm I'm slightly paraphrasing. I like uh, I like how one of his acting choices was basically to sweat a lot. And <laughs> he looked like he was about to like throw up half of the time. Didn't <laughs> he, he looked ill? He looked ill. It's like I, I was. I, you know what I was expecting though, and I was I was almost I was kind of waiting for it, and I was hoping it would happen. I want that moment where he just explodes because yeah. it looked like he's so coiled up. Through a lot of the movie, yeah. that was my impression. He seemed... But he never has that moment of like when I've wa- when uh, I think I've told you about Jupiter ascending yeah. and the magnificent uh, um... Ambersons. 
Yes. <laughs> um, I have a story about that, but I, I can leave it for another time. Uh, no, but in uh, Jupiter Ascending, Eddie Redmayne, his character is also kind of coiled like that and a bit sickly, but every once in a while, Oh, yeah, I like this! Yeah. Um, I, it, ex- I expected that from Peter Sarsgaard, and whenever he plays villains, sometimes it's really just strange. Like, remember Green Lantern? Yes. Yeah, he was the villain in that. Mm-hmm. And he was kind of decomposing for half that movie and turning into a elephant man blob thing. Right. But yeah, you're right. He's he's pretty wound up in this. He doesn't let it go though. Yeah. And I, I was don't waiting that for that. It feels a little bit like he's trying to channel channel Daniel Day Lewis in There Will Be Blood. <laughs> but you here's got, the thing. You got that? Here's the thing. I think Maybe. he was. He's he's a disappointing villain. I mean, he because... is. He's trying something like different and i respect that i never really got the menace that i thought i was supposed to feel he was just like we're going to take over this town i'm going to get this army (laughs) but it's not because of his performance i like his performance. it's the writing yes because the thing is he makes he makes a pretty grand entrance he has a he does a pretty good job with the speech yeah there's got to be, by the way, there's got to be a name for, like, a villain speech where it's like, you remember in, like, Skyfall where uh, Javier Bardem walks in and he starts just talking about rats? Yes. All right, and in this one, he walks in with, like, a jar of dirt. There's yes. got to be something, like a name, in, like, the Roger Ebert Dictionary of Movies or whatever. The little for, like, Yeah, in the glossary for, like, that jar of dirt or like the rats in a speech because villains give these speeches or they have these little objects in their hands and they always like start the speech like you know where i got this watch or it's like capitalism you know i got these scars yeah things like there's gonna be a name for that term anyway but grandstanding no no like for the thing For, like, oh, the thing I, in I their speech it. or, like, the well, thing in their mo- head. Well, it's monologuing. No, not the... <laughs> he... All right. I mean, uh... Let me get to my point. Okay. He makes a great entrance. And I had this hope that we would find out something interesting about this villain. Because I felt so much like he really hated this one place. Yeah. It w- and it wasn't just because they were in a way of progress or because he wanted it for the gold. It's just he had something very personal against that place. I, I and that was just yeah. in my head. And it never panned out to anything else. No. We find out basically that he's just a guy who wants land to get gold. It's just a greed thing. Well, he, and he's, well, he, well, there's he's not full, much well, to it. It's the typical ego and hubris thing. I mean, he has a moment midway through the film when he's told that these seven people have come to town he's like nobody will remember that town but they'll remember me yeah it's like why what have you done yeah. what are you like uh, you know you're compelling you're comparing yourself to rockefeller or something like yeah, that he, he, you're, you're just like grabbing up these little towns to get like gold like yeah and it seems like we're, we're gonna find out something about him but no, there's never much more to him. He's just in it for the money. Yeah. And that's disappointing. Well, it's also different because, I mean, I when you watch Eli Wallach, uh, his character in Magnificent Seven, he, what I like about him is that he comes in and he's almost kind of jovial right. in his villainy. He's really fun to watch. Mm-hmm. And then at, by the end of that movie, um, he's just kind of stunned at what's happened. That, you know, the, the, that they... they they went against him for this reason. He just has like this kind of pathetic moment. He's like, why? Yeah. 
But he had depth too. It wasn't just a simple matter of we're taking your stuff because we want your stuff. It's we're taking it's your a, stuff. It's a code. No, it's we're taking your stuff because my bandits are starving. Yeah, and that's interesting. He's doing something for a reason. Peter Sars, uh, is it Skarsgård? It's Sar- it's Sarsgård. Sarsgård. I keep getting him. Confused. You're you're getting him confused with Stellan Skarsgård. Yes. Or his son, Skarsgård. Uh, uh, <laughs> But we ne- but he he never becomes more interesting than that. Yeah, yeah, he he's he had a lot of potential that ultimately he just becomes this figure who you're supposed to be terrified of because he sweats a lot. And like in that last act, I thought he had like an STD or something. I thought he was about to keel over from syphilis. That's quite possible. <laughs> Historically speaking, but um, uh, yeah, he's just like greasy. It's like he wanted to like wipe his head. Um, <laughs> but um, so this movie, though, I what I feel like is strongest though is that as an action movie, it does deliver. Yeah, I feel like Fuqua is a good director of action. He, you know, he, he's not too fancy about a lot of his shots, but he just keeps the action going, and I liked. The, th- the thing the drawback I found about the action scenes was we never really got a clear understanding of what was where and I think what... I, I think by the time that the bit especially the big action sequence happens we know where everything in the town is I don't really I never felt that way I yeah. mean if people are riding through the town at all different angles and whenever they enter a part of the town I'm never sure where they are in relation to where they started or where the characters are in relation to each other hmm I, mean, I think maybe it's just because... In the beginning, I've... it's a little more clear, but then everything oh, you gets mean the really midway chaotic. Point. The midway point. No, I'm mean. talking about the action scene at the end. Oh, okay. And I'm like, well, and I'm like, how hard could it be? It's basically just a one-street town in the middle of nowhere. But uh, it, all just kind of un- uh, it all just kind of unfolds in a really haphazard fashion. People shoot, and it's cool. But uh, I never got a sense of the geography of that fight. Hmm. See, I, I don't know if I had that as much a problem with that, just because I, like, at the beginning of it, when his, uh, when Sarsgaard's army is kind of coming towards the town, you see some of the horses are going one way, and other, and some are going another. Yeah, but I never, but, you know, where are they going? How do they end up? So you where, want, where you, in the scene need, do they re-enter the action? You needed, like, a big overhead shot or something. I needed an idea of what the town looked of what the town was shaped like what buildings were where and what the area around the town was like that way when people are going through this part of the scenery I know whereabouts in the landscape mm. they are and right. well I guess we'll just have to it doesn't work it, do, it doesn't work out that way in the huh. in this action scene alright well all right. I just I, I, like I said I because, didn't really I mean, have that problem we, as much you, you just said People, the, the when the attack begins, they split into two groups. One is heading towards the town. Where does that other group go? The other, I, th- I think, is is meant to kind of get them on the side. Well, where do they come in then? It, uh, I'm, hmm. Oh, maybe you got me there. I don't know. I, I like what by what building do they do, do they enter the town or like or well I think that part of it was because they were setting off all the dynamite and all the explosions that made a little bit a little bit more chaotic. I think that because I've seen a number of action movies that are cut much more chaotically, at least this it felt 
cut together in a way that was a little bit clearer for me. So, yeah, was I always sure where everything was? Maybe not. But I, I still thought that moment to moment it was working for me. Like where in relation to where the enemy starts off is the church? Um, I think that... The well, church is uh, a part I, of the town. And I'm, I'm saying it's it, it's a building that you know it becomes important throughout the film. So uh, so all the enemies are lined up at the beginning of the fight. Where is the church in relation to those enemies? The church is facing the front of that. Like the enemies are coming towards that direction. So the church so is the first thing in the town. Then there's like that little river on the other end. So the the enemies are not coming through that way. They're coming through. Then there are like then next to the church there are all these other buildings. There's but what also... about the camp? They come through a camp first, don't they? Uh, no, I thought that was on the. Uh, all right, maybe you're. Uh... You see what I mean? I mean, even if you eventually figure out where everything is, I. It's hard for you to t to tell me what the, what that how that battle played out, yeah. and where everything was. These men need inspiration. Inspire them. You are Goodnight Robichaux, after all. Ain't you? I can hit sand. We need the lead. 23 confirmed kills at Antietam. This is one of Connolly's Confederate sharpshooters, dubbed the Angel of Death. Do what he does. He's a legend. Some fancy shit there. Told you. Um, all right, but let's go back to uh, some of the characters. Okay. For a moment. This so, is good because. Be, th you say what you were going to say first. Okay. Let me so I like to. I think that one of the one of the things I liked in the movie is that there was a balance between the personalities in the group. Mm -hmm. And you got to see that pretty clearly. Um, and I liked that they, they have a, I was a little worried at certain moments, not throughout, but early on that, Oh, is this going to be a little bit too jokey? Everybody's kind of cracking quips all the time, especially Chris Pratt. And, uh, you know, he, he's kind of going on pe about people. Um, but then Ethan Hawke in the sort of midway through the movie, when the people, when the seven come into the town and take out the, 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 the bad guys that are already there, Ethan Hawke kind of freezes up. And you right. see him just totally terrified. Yeah. And I, I liked that. It, that was something that I don't think was... Correct me if I'm wrong, was that in The Magnificent Seven? The, the analog to his character in The Magnificent Seven. Was that Seven? Charles Bronson? No, that was Robert Vaughn. Oh. He has a moment like that. Yes, that's true. Okay. But, but, it, but, but he it, didn't have that backstory. He didn't have that baggage of... I've already been through war. No. I've gone through this over and over again. And even though I can shoot at things if I'm really pressed to, like Chris Pratt at one point is like, are you just a legend now? Yeah. Like his character, I thought about, uh, of all things, Blazing Saddles, which maybe because I just watched that again recently, but the fact that Gene Wilder's character in that movie, uh, the Waco kid, yeah. you know, he's a guy who's kind of lost uh, his touch 
or you think he's lost his touch, but it turns out he hasn't really at all. Damn kids shot me in the ass. <laughs> and the rest is history. Yeah. Um, that was like the comedic version of that. This is that, but played more serious. Mm. I thought Ethan Hawke played it really well. Right. And I actually felt involved with his character. And even though I, I, it's like logically I knew this is a cliche, what's about to happen with him, where he's going to feel his ambivalence and leave, which is a cliche of a lot of movies yeah. like this. And you just know he's about to come back uh, <laughs> at some point in the battle. That's not a spoiler. That's just how these movies are. But I still enjoyed seeing him in this character and again it helped balance out how some of the other characters are a little more eccentric they're a little bit cracking jokes they're um they have a different camaraderie um but even each things... of the characters feels distinct yes and a lot of them have relation have interesting relationships to one another yeah i mean whatever vincent d'onofrio did to prepare his character was great yeah uh that that felt like in a, like he's basically been in the mountains for years. Yeah. But he has a sad backstory, mm. and he does. He just says it briefly, but that's all we need to know. Yeah. And, oh, and they don't spend a lot of time going into everybody's backstory, but you, they feel like they are interesting people, yes. and they have interesting conversations with each other in some scenes. Yeah. I th I feel like if we if we can go to the writing. I feel like there were a few scenes put in here as part of a punch-up for the script. Uh, yeah, especially that I, scene I can see the, that. on the night before the battle, I can see that. where they're just where they're sitting around and eating and joking. Yeah, he ha like P Chris Pratt has his two guns that yeah uh, have. Well, we're not going to tell the whole scene. No, no, no. I'm just giving an illustration of. of what All right, but those scenes are good. Like. Yeah, e even if the rest of the film around them seems a bit standard and a bit workman workmanlike yeah. those scenes really stick out and it really helps develop the characters and here's, i really enjoyed that here's something that did stick out again another cliche the and i don't know if it's a cliche I, I know that maybe it's because sometimes you have to look at when a movie is specifically made in its time the fact that Ma the magnificent seven 1960 is from 1960 and yet and now we have this magnificent seven in 2016 um you have so the, the the two characters in the town who actually go to find the seven because of course it's not the whole town going out it's most of them are like we don't want to do anything and you have two people who stand up and like we'll go do it we'll go do it right um one of them is this uh, woman who I, I wish I remember this actress's name fake Jennifer Lawrence with red hair right um that's she, how you know she's the knockoff <laughs> Ginger Lawrence let's call her that ooh I like that yeah. So Ginger Lawrence, uh, you know her her husband uh, is is it her husband or brother? Husband. Oh yeah, the husband is shot point blank by Pierce Sarsgaard, yeah. and then you know she she wants uh, uh, as the trailer says, you're seeking revenge. I'm seeking retribution, but I'll take revenge. Uh, Boom. Yeah, but <laughs> that's kind of you know you have like the one tough woman. Huh. Uh, I she was. She was a good actress. Ginger but Lawrence was, was great in that part, though. She she had a lot of good screen presence, but the character was kind of flat for me. She was a little thin, but I don't think we needed to know much more about her, other than what we got. I mean, in in a in a film which is called The Magnificent Seven, you're going to focus on the seven. She is basically 
a second tier character. But you're and also she gets ma- her own story and she gets some resolution at the end of that story. Basically, I think that's yeah. all you needed. Yeah. Although but- I do agree. She's kind of thin. She's thin, but also in terms we're, of we're, led, we're led to believe that you know she she she's just she's supposed to be like a lot of the other people in the town who don't have a lot of experience firing guns. But right away we're kind of led to believe oh she's one of the toughest ones. She can handle herself the best. Well, she goes and out. And I don't to, know if I quite bought that. Well, she goes out. With, she's one of the only people who goes out to find these gunfighters. Oh no no I I'll she has courage. I'll give her that. It's just that. Um, I, for her, it's personal. Yeah. I mean, whether or not she can fire a gun is basically something we just kind of put in the script at the middle of the film. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you know, maybe that's a little too late, but I don't think there would have been another time to really introduce that. The film fits together plot-wise rather loosely. This mm. is not the tightest plot. No, it's, it's basically, not... it's more about the moments. Like, I think that was, when I was watching the movie... I was kind of with it more because of the moments that were carrying me along. And there are so many, and there's a lot of strong moments, even though, as you said, it's taking from its past sources and then trying to do something new, which, I don't know, do you think they were trying to make some kind of contemporary statement about, like, capitalism? No, because I don't think the script supports that. No, that's the thing. Peter Sarsgaard basically is... Well, again, they were trying to. Peter Sarsgaard is a two-dimensional villain. Uh, and even though he talks about capitalism, he doesn't raise any interesting questions. literally in has a mustache. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> a lot of good mustaches in this movie, though. Good mustaches. Like, Denzel Washington has a good mustache. Mm-hmm. Of course, he he's great. Yeah. He, he, and, you know, what would you what expect would you, from Denzel no, Washington? Yeah, but he, even he, he finally gets some moments when you almost don't expect. Right. Um, so at this point, uh, I guess we could just say our thoughts in case you haven't seen the movie yet. If you just want to know whether it's worth seeing, uh, I'd say, yeah, it's, it's, it's worth a matinee. If you want to, if you want a few good jokes and if you want a lot of guns going off. Yes. And you know, you just want to see a Western, then fine. Go see it. If you want a moment, if If you you don't really, if if you don't really care about Westerns, then you're not going to miss much. Yes. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but also if you want to have one more moment of characters reacting to a black gunslinger walking into town, uh, after Django Unchained, you get that here. Good. Uh, this time without the N word, which, uh, actually kind of worked for me in a way. Uh, because you got to just see people's looks and that said everything. Right. Um, Although that never comes up again, really. No um, one ever points out the fact that that character is black. Ever no, <laughs> and that's well, you know it. Well, hmm. And they react in the beginning when he first co- when would... Denzel Washington first enters. That's how they react. It's like, hey, black guy on a horse. That's weird. But then it's never mentioned again. It's not a big deal. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. Actually, now that I think about, well, that what it was that moment that I liked having. Again. No one in the town is ever like, we're gonna hire a black guy to defend us. That's weird. <laughs> yeah, you would think maybe one racist would pop up. Yeah, I mean, it's Just the 19th century. That's pretty much par for the course. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I you know, it, you might think you might want to criticize Tarantino for exaggerating uh, the racism in Django Unchained, but here it's the opposite way, where nobody's really racist. Well, Django Unchained basically made enough enough racism for you know to cover the next like two decades. <laughs> Uh, that's true I, you know. all right so let's get into uh some spoilers here so again if you're listening and you don't want to be spoiled stop now 
But if you want to be cool, if you want to hang out with the cool guys, if you want to go drinking with Chris Pratt um, <laughs> and play card games like he does, yeah, that was a character tick he has in the movie, mm-hmm. which makes for a couple of cool moments, I should say. A few, yes. Um, you know, if you like Chris Pratt, go see this movie. That would be my recommendation. You get enough Chris Pratt for like two movies. So spoilers. So, um. And in a way, it's not exactly spoilers so much if you have seen Seven Samurai or Magnificent Seven. Uh, but if you haven't, um, you know, obviously this is a big, big battle at the end of this movie. Uh, four of the Magnificent Seven go down. Yeah. Uh, which is pretty much in line with the... I forget who lives at the end of Magnificent Seven. At the end of Magnificent Seven, Yul Brynner, Steve McQueen, and Horst Buchholz survive. Okay. Yes. Um, yeah, in this, it's Denzel Washington, the Mexican, and the Indian. Yes. I wish I remembered their names. I, I feel so stupid. Um, the Indian's name was Red Harvest. Yes! Which, um... I, I picked up on that, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that's kind of a cool name. He... My, my, my people called me references to, <laughs> to other properties. <laughs> well, it... it yeah, Red Harvest, which also kind of inspired Yojimbo. Yeah. Um, so, oh, here's the thing, though. In that climax, do you remember the movie Sukiyaki Western Django? Yeah. That movie, one of the things that sticks out to me still to this day, aside from Quentin Tarantino's very odd cameo, uh, is that they have a Gatling gun. Right. Um, and in this, they have a Gatling gun in the climax. Yeah. The Gatling gun is now is, is a trope of westerns, basically. Was, there, was time, it in any other westerns? All, all, e, all evil villains will, during the course of a large gunfight, unveil a Gatling gun. Oh, and the Gatling gun was in The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly? Wasn't it in the, the Civil War scene? Yeah. Oh, but, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not thinking that. I'm thinking of Fistful of Dollars. No. Wasn't there a Gatling gun in there? No, that? that was just like a regular machine gun. But, oh. you know, it was it was it was like with a villain. So, with a ga- the thing about the Gatling gun part of it is that you know, it's a, there's a lot of build up to it. Yeah. And you you know that like, oh, uh, the reason why Pierce Sarsgar is going in is cuz he had, he's unveiling something big. And when he brings it out and it starts going off, I was just like, "Oh, all right, well, I guess this is really the end of the movie." Lone Ranger Gatling gun. Villains. Yeah. Yeah, good So point. if you want to know who the villain is in a Western now, it's not Black Hat, White Hat anymore. It's who's got the Gatling gun, basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bring up the Gatling gun. Swirl on mustache. mustache. Um, and I'm going to just say it uh, probably because there. Wild Wild West probably had one. Maybe. Who knows? Well, uh, Wild Wild West, the villain had a giant mechanical spider. So <laughs> I don't think we can yeah, really me- make any valid claims about the intentions <laughs> Of Wild Wild West. <laughs> yes. Um, Other than the fact that but, it was garbage. But did you, like, was it almost too much? Like, because when the Gatling gun goes off, it tears through the whole town. Eh. It's like, by the end, by the time it's done, it's like, how is there anything left? <laughs> but but it keeps going on. Which is cool, but it's like, wow, like, you guys are... And it seems to take, like, ten minutes for them to reload the Gatling gun. Hmm. I think they'd have a little practice with that before they got to the town. I don't know. This is all... I, I know. I'm, I'm reaching here. I'm just trying to make the conversation a little more interesting about <laughs> a Gatling gun. Because there isn't too much to say about it. It's a thing that happens. 
it's meant to make everybody go, whoa! What's interesting about the action sequence at mm-hmm. the end, the climax, is that it's actually... It actually replaces... I mean, we can't avoid comparisons to, to Magnificent Seven. It actually condenses two action scenes into one. Yes. Because in The Seven Samurai and in Magnificent Seven, there is an initial battle scene... And the bandits get chased off, and then there is a second battle scene yes. after that when uh, when we have basically the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead, they decide not to do that, which is a pretty good move on their part, making yeah. it a little different. They basically just make it one giant climax. Well, it wouldn't it, it wouldn't really make much sense to have it be two this time because they immediately for, have their formation of all these people, and you just know it's it's this is it. Yeah. It was probably it was a good choice. Yeah, they they, they led up to it well. Uh, again, there was a lot of build up for it. Um, I think in a way that's why they made in the middle that action scene so kind of frenzied because of uh, what they knew was going to come at the end. Mm. Give you like a little taste. Yeah. Um, there wasn't there wasn't much. I don't know. I just don't find the action scenes in this film to be really compelling. I there's think... very little notion of a goal to be a, like. It's, no, you know what? I gotta the find way a way that you're, to the way that you're t- telling me about it now, when I think back to how things ha- were, uh, as far as the screen direction and where things were in relation to each other, you do make a good point about things not being completely clear. Um, I think I'll still hold to that. I just, I do like that we're seeing action scenes that aren't, you know, shaky cam or anything crazy like that. I think that <laughs> shaky cam would be out of place in a Western. Oh God. Imagine like people. Unless you're doing some, some sort of like roundup scene where you're on horseback. Yeah. Horseback shape, shaky cam. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I think that when I think back now, I like the action scene in the middle more than the climax. Because it's it's not as long, and you don't have as many people, and you're able to fo- you're able to see here's what the seven can do. There's and, not yeah, and there and you also get to see character development with Ethan Hawke. Yeah, but there's not much else to it other than okay, shoot all the bad guys. Yeah, I mean in a, in a bet in a good action scene, you there's basically like a goal, and this is the plan. Or this, or this is how we're going to do this, and either and the tension comes from whether or not that action scene is going to succeed. Yeah. And in the middle of the film, I mean, we have no doubt that the seven are just going to tear through these guys, and no one's going to die. Uh, yes, but like I said, the Ethan Hawke part made it a little more interesting. A little, me. yes, a little. Um, uh, even though ultimately it does lead to the climax to being a bit cliche. It leads to Damn, I'm like talking myself out of liking this movie. I mean, but it's it's not terrible. It's just, you know. Yeah. No, I I It's I, okay. I do enjoy it. I, I think that um it's the problem is it's it's standing in it's kind of standing in the shadows of better movies. And I didn't even love the original Magnificent Seven that much. It's a very good movie. Mm-hmm. Um but that also that movie for the first half of that it's kind of standing in the shadow of Seven Samurai, but once it gets into the second half of that story, it gets its own pace and rhythm and it becomes more of its own thing. Yeah. 
I, um, Magnus and Seven isn't isn't one of my favorite westerns either. No, no, it, it I mean, has it's not a bad of, film. It's it's pretty good, but I mean, as far as my tastes go, uh, there there are other westerns I just like better. Yeah, uh, and of course, I would say ultimately, if you're going to go see a, a movie, I mean, just check out Seven Samurai because you get well, that's a very long movie. It's long, but it, it's very involving and it's a masterpiece. I mean, do well. You, you're right about Do that. you want to pay like $15 to see something that's kind of like a third watered down version of, you know, something by a master filmmaker? Good or point. you could. I mean, th- like I said, there are the things to recommend the movie. I mean, the cast is generally solid. Yeah. Uh, they, I mean, they, the, cast... the director put together a really good ensemble. I would agree. I would just, I would say that the cast is worth going to see the movie. Yeah. The cast. Of, yeah, for sure. Like, <laughs> And in that sense, I mean, when you have a star vehicle like this, you know, you want to have stars, and here you go. All right. So, well, how about we wrap this up then? Okay. Uh, do you have anything else you want to add to this review before we finish up? Um, I thought. Oh, one last thing. The very end, I thought was a little. Eh, I felt it kind of checked out of the movie by then. You mean that? You mean that climax with Denzel and and Sarsgaard? Uh no not no not not that like the very end with where she, like the the girl the, the girl what in town riding away yeah and they have like the narr she has the narration over like the four graves yeah I thought that was eh. the 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 climax in the church uh I find it to be kind of just uh, we're getting a whole lot of information this late in the film yeah that, about his that, backstory yeah this this that sh- the film should have ended. Yeah, it as should have already as ended. Saw, as soon as they saw each it other. It was continuing the... Uh, as if you, you, we need to see Pierre Sarsgaard suffer more. Uh, or as if we needed to know more about Denzel Washington to make him cooler. It was the pro- It's the problem that I also saw this summer in uh, Star Trek Beyond. Where that's a, that's a very good movie, but then in the last 15 minutes they cram in the villain's backstory. Like, it's like they stuff it in there like a turkey on thanksgiving right. and uh, <laughs> for lack of a better metaphor and here they they kind of do that the thing is though my problem with that is when uh when denzel's told uh here's the this guy uh and his name uh what, what was his character's name gold mining man <laughs> Just say Peter Sarsgaard. Yeah, Peter Sarsgaard. When he's told this character's name, he has a bit of a reaction. He's, he's like, I've heard the name. Yeah. But then by the end of the movie, it's like, no, you did all this to my family, to my mother and my sisters. And he takes and off me, his scarf. Yeah. He's like, look at my note. Like, where'd this come from? You made me from? stand on my brother's shoulders and play the harmonica. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it becomes once upon, but at least in once upon time in the West, that has a much more mythic quality to it, and they build it up better. Yeah, I mean, there's so much mystery about. All right, we're gonna compare it to a different Western now. All right, once upon a time in the West, Charles Bronson. I think that we uh, can compare it to that. Yeah, I mean, Charles Bronson, he's this mysterious gunfighter who has something against uh frank yes who played by henry fonda yeah and we we don't find out what it is but they give you little snippets like they have that odd shot that they cut away to at times where the guy is kind of out of focus and walking yeah and then when they finally come back to it's like oh 
This that. is what's going on. They don't yeah. do any of that with Denzel and uh, and the reveal and was so much better because it didn't depend on words. It depended upon these great images. See, once upon a time in the West, you'll know what we're talking about. It's, yeah. Uh, it, I mean, Denzel oh, tries you, to you sell could, it. But... If you don't want to spend your money on the movie theater, just get Once Upon a Time in the West from your local library. There you That's go. That's a much also, better Western. Also a movie about capitalism and greed. Yes, but that has something to say. Yes. yes Not just does. mentioning it once in the first act. Yes, and it also actually also a movie that has to do with a small town dealing with... Uh, people coming in right yeah or at least claudia Cardinale. big business but yeah big business is coming in the railroad ruthless, ruthless uh business practices to say the least yeah i think uh the moral of the story a vendetta is by a wife against the what? person who killed her husband which part is that claudia, claudia Cardinale. oh that's always that's always the one part of that movie and i've seen that once upon a time West a few times that one scene where claudia Cardinale and henry fonda are you know he's on top of her and like doing the sex yeah that, that's it that's that... so weird that takes me out of the movie like so much it's well, <laughs> it's the one once scene upon that... a time in the west is not a perfect film but it there comes film... close close not as close as some others though all right so all right. that's our opinion of the magnificent seven yeah uh yeah not bad not bad so uh and uh so when we come back next time, we'll have reviews of movies, and we'll talk about movies, and I'll get into that big, old, uh, moldy cinema tank. Yeah. Uh, and try to clean a little bit. Um, and with that, I'm Jack. I'm Andrew. And remember, the wages of cinema is... Pew, 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 pew. Down, 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 down,